Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 151 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Jeff Turwin joining us. Jeff is the associate head of school at the Wellington School here in Columbus, and he's going to talk a lot about some of the partnerships they have going on and how they're trying to drive an entrepreneurial spirit in their students here in Columbus. I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that, though, we want to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And we're going to start with a new sponsor, Third and Goal. You are invited to pack your bags and join the Third and Goal Foundation for Heroes in the Hangar, a suitcase party, Friday, May 3rd, 2019. There'll be live performance by Swag, an open bar, heavy hors d'oeuvres, and interactive stations, and one lucky couple will leave the night on a private jet for an all-inclusive weekend getaway. First-class tickets are $150, which includes entry and one raffle entry into trip drawing. VIP first-class cabin is $2,000. It includes six first-class tickets, access to the VIP pre-party, and name on the event signage. Proceeds benefit the Third and Goal Foundation, founded by Brady Quinn, a nonprofit that is committed to making a difference in the lives of veterans in need. For more information and to reserve your tickets, visit www.thirdandgoalfoundation.org. That's www.thirdandgoalfoundation.org, which will also be linked in the show notes. And our next sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. 
Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Jeff Turwin joining us. And Jeff is the associate head of school and the head of the upper school at the Wellington School here in Columbus. The Wellington School is a private pre-K through 12 school here in Columbus with a mission of discovering and cultivating the unique potential in every student. And before Wellington, Jeff spent time working at several other private schools, and he has a PhD in marine estuarine. <laughs> Hold on, I probably said that wrong. I'm sure Jeff will correct me later, and environmental science from the University of Maryland. And he'll be transitioning to the head of the school effective July 1st. We're really excited to have him here on the show today to talk about his plans for Wellington. Uh, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for stopping by on a Thursday evening. And uh, one of the first places kind of we typically like to start is kick it back a little bit, uh, learn a little bit about how, got, how you got to where you are now. So can you talk us through kind of your early life, any key points, events that made you want to get into teaching? Sure. I uh, grew up in southeastern Michigan, and both my older sisters had gone to Michigan State. I'm sorry. So I know. It's a, it's a thing. <laughs> um, and so I ended up going to uh, Michigan State, and I originally started uh, wanting to study advertising and got involved in advertising with the association. It just didn't, just didn't feel right, didn't connect, and so I looked at other majors where sort of my passion was and landed in uh, zoology. Uh, with an interest to eventually get into marine science. So it was a pretty significant shift for, for everybody. What, what, so why did you line up with zoology? I mean, did you always like animals? Were you always into that type of a study? Or what, what drew you that way? Yeah, at, at Michigan State, there were a, a, it was a huge school and a lot of departments. So I ended up having conversations with, with a bunch of different department chairs and deans kind of throughout the school as I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. And then reflecting on where I felt sort of in the flow or where I felt the most passion and just inherent interest. And that's where, as I had those conversations, it, it seemed to make sense that I'd try and align a career. And, and at that time, I was intrigued by marine science, but I didn't have a lot of um, experience with it. So I thought it was worth a shot. So I made that shift. And you went on to get your PhD at Maryland. Did you jump off right after undergrad and, then, and dive into that? Or what did that path look like? Yeah, so as I, uh, one of the gifts I had at Michigan State was an advisor, his name was Dick Hill, and he got me introduced to both teaching, where he found an opportunity where I could teach a class, and I just lit up and loved it. Loved being in the classroom, loved the energy of it, um, sort of creating that understanding and, and inspiring. And he also um, took me out to the Gulf of Maine, and I spent a month on an island in the Gulf of Maine. And that really affirmed me um, this uh, interest in the ocean and, and most importantly probably the human impacts on the ocean and, and got me stirred. And so the connection between sort of education and this human influence on the ocean um, led me to then seek the, the PhD. I knew I wanted a PhD because I thought I'd have interest in research but also knew I wanted to teach and Maryland was a great program. They had a partnership with the Smithsonian so I was able to, to do the academic work with the University of Maryland and then do the research with the uh, Smithsonian Institution. And how long is that program? Uh, that turned out to be, I went straight from a Bachelor of Science to a PhD, and so it was about five and a half years. And during that time frame, when did you realize, so I guess my question for you mm -hmm. is, yeah. you've got kind of two paths anytime you do a PhD, mm -hmm. you can go into education or you can go into research. When did, what, when did you branch off? Did you ever think about going into research? What did you like about both fields? Yeah, I really liked aspects of the research, especially the designing the studies, asking the questions, and doing that initial planning. I loved field work because a lot of marine biology field work is scuba diving. So, you know, <laughs> board shorts and a t shirt 
most days. What I found to be challenging was the grant writing and the kind of the publisher parish mentality. And, and what you found, what I found, was I was spending more time indoors writing and, and editing and doing that and less time planning, researching, being out in the field. At the same time, I found myself seeking opportunities to be back in the classroom. So I taught a statistics class, a large statistics class at uh, Maryland, and I um, would create workshops and statistics for um, graduate students and, and found that was a space that I was much more, again, naturally energized and, and refining the work I was doing. So at that point, I told my PhD advisor uh, that I thought I probably wanted to go more into teaching. I didn't know if it would be like a liberal arts college or something else um, because I, I didn't think the research was there. But he said, if you're in this field, if you want to do real science, it's you know not in the teaching side, it's on the research side. So I agreed to do a postdoc. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to the University of Connecticut and did a postdoc, which was a research-focused postdoc on climate change and invasive species. We did some really cool work, did some publications that I think have had a, uh, an impact on the world. But again, I found myself driving up to Stores, Connecticut to teach classes. Uh, so that really solidified in me that teaching, trying to reach students to then elevate their understanding about oceans and human impact on oceans was probably the path rather than the core research. So that's an area that I, I have some interest in. I was a biology student in college. Oh, no, I never pursued research or anything like that. I, obviously, I ended up in business. But uh, the question I have on that I've been hearing a lot, like one thing, I guess this isn't as much related to climate change, but I heard recently mm -hmm. that plastic waste in the oceans has increased to the point where there's more pounds of plastic waste than there are pounds of fish in the ocean. Is that inaccurate? Yeah, I think there's, there's pockets. So, so there's areas um, where you can study where the, the materials in the ocean sort of move around these gyres and collect mm -hmm. in certain areas. So the North Pacific garbage patch, right. uh, where they are, if you're in those sites, you can see the accumulation. The, the piece that always impacted me are areas that are remote islands where people haven't visited, or if they have, it's a quick passing by. And yet, you can find the plastic waste on those um, beaches, the, you know, the famous albatross with all the plastic in their, in their stomachs when they haven't really even experienced people. And so that, that piece actually is really interesting for students in Ohio. So where we built a marine biology program at, at Wellington, getting the first understanding for students to understand in Ohio, they can have an impact on the oceans and the oceans impact them as well and so that that push-pull is really important and and no matter where you live it, it matters so your postdoc comes to a conclusion and how long so the phd was five years how long is the postdoc the postdoc was two two years at mm -hmm. that point and then do you jump right off into identifying what school you're going to teach in at that point yeah so as i mentioned i was sort of thinking about the the smaller colleges and having some conversation with, with uh, individuals there. And then somebody tipped me off to independent schools. And I had gone to a big public school in Michigan. I didn't know much about independent schools. So um, they had mentioned that you can get a combination of a lot of autonomy with, with how you teach and what you teach you know, within certain um, structures. Uh, you can connect beyond the classroom with students, with coaching. I'd been an athlete in high school and uh, was interested to get into that. And then there were other ways to have an impact and partner um, with students. So I cold called a few and just said, hey, you know, what's, what's it like teaching at an independent school? And the people that I talked to were sort of enlivened by the story and they wanted to tell me more and it, it, it felt like this positive, really challenging, but interesting and dynamic field. So I said, you know what, I'll give it a shot. And uh, 
applied to a few schools and ended up landing in a school that also had an interest and a need to kind of bolster their science program, so there was a good alignment, uh, North Shore Country Day and uh, just north of Chicago. What was that initial experience like? You know, you mentioned it's challenging, <laughs> especially when you're probably trying to ramp up that science program. What were some of the biggest yeah. surprises for you early on? Uh, I had no idea how hard it was. It's, I still reflect on the first few years, and it's the hardest I've ever worked in trying to stay prepared for class, to have uh, multiple students that you're trying to differentiate and engage. Um, also, at an independent school, there's a lot of partnership with parents. So that nuance, you know, in college, you didn't have that issue where now it was uh, figuring out how to manage that communication and, and raise understanding with parents on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, but then ultimately bringing a really vibrant experience to the students. Also in, the, in biology at that time, you know, it's lab science. So now you're creating labs and trying to uh, keep it relevant, so taking the students off, off out of the building to engage in different ways. So um, it was energizing but exhausting. And then where does the path go from there? So then I, I moved through um, at North Shore. I became a dean of students um, and really enjoyed that in a, in a kind of warped kind of way, the, the challenge of holding students accountable while also helping them understand you care about them and you want the best for them. Um, I did some curricular work while I was there and got the bug that I think administrative leadership was a, a piece for me. I knew I still wanted to be in the classroom, but wanted to kind of move up to that next step looked like the, the um, landscape there would be challenging or the timeline wasn't really ready um, for me to, to move in that next level. So I got an opportunity at Chase Collegiate School in Connecticut, which is a day school as well. Um, and I became the head of upper school there. And then over the course of your time, it was North Shore, is that correct? Yep. And you became dean of schools. How many years altogether did you spend there? So I was there for eight years. And, and the, the fun part, the other great thing about independent schools is I don't know that I had the same job for you know, two years in a row. And so that, that interest to, to try things, to change, to interact with students in different ways, to get involved or lead either an existing club or start a new club, um, that was a piece I really valued about being in independent school. So I knew it was a space that, that was good for me um, and then just sort of wanted to move along that trajectory. And then how many years at Chase after that? Just two years at Chase. I knew I, I wanted to get back to the Midwest for a whole bunch of um, reasons and had a conversation with Rob Brisk, who was the uh, head of school at Wellington. And I knew within, you know, you know, when you have that conversation like this fits, uh, he described a school where the students were at the center of everything. Um, the programs were designed to elevate uh, student um, interest and passion. Uh, it's a school that believes in new ideas. And so the a welcoming of new ideas and, and innovative thinking it was a school that had been founded in 1982 by a group of entrepreneurs. And so it had that entrepreneurial spirit in its DNA. Um, and also it was, it was very diverse and um, coming um, from a perspective that a, a diverse educational environment is really important for students. Uh, that was attractive as well. And so um, moved to Columbus seven years ago. And uh, I guess no looking back, right? Yeah, you know, that first, you first moved to Columbus and uh, when you were, so I guess it's funny, whenever I think about moving to Columbus, I think about my experience moving to Columbus. So when you were sitting in Southeast Michigan as a kid, <laughs> did you ever think you'd end up in Columbus, Ohio? I did not. The funny part is I grew up in Michigan. I went to a Big Ten school. I had never stepped foot in Columbus, Ohio before um, I took this job. And uh, my wife was from California. And I said, honey, moving to Columbus, Ohio, she's like, 
might need to see it first. So we, uh, we came in, we visited, stayed in the short north, and were absolutely blown away by the vibrancy, uh, the, the progressive opportunities, the, the Midwest politeness, you know, which is delightful. Um, and, and then that combined with this opportunity at Wellington that seemed like such a good fit, it just, it, it all came together really well. And, and we're really happy we live downtown and, and can stay connected there, but then also easy trip out to Wellington and, and really great families that value education. So it's been a, a good fit. All right, Conquerors, we're gonna take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at columbusgivesback.org. That's columbusgivesback.org. All right, let's get back into the episode. So when you first arrived, was head of school like on the trajectory? Did you think that that's eventually where you'd be at? Or? I did have those, those sort of ideas in the back of my mind. I, was, I think at that time I was more intrigued by the position and, and you know when you're in a field and, and that's in, in this field that's the top and so I think you want to have a mindset where uh, understanding it what might that be what kinds of things could I and should should I be doing to to get there if it turns out that's of interest um, Rob has been a great mentor and so one of the things that that I reflect on with his leadership is as soon as he saw that spark like oh you you do want more he said, what can I do to help you get there? It wasn't a, you know, a territorial, whoa, are you out to get this, or I have to protect these things. He said, what kind of committees can we get you on? You know, what other opportunities, what conferences can you attend? And so that piece for me to then be able to work with him and have that partnership, it has allowed me to push in, take new risks, ask great questions. Um, so at that time, I wasn't sure if that leadership would be at Wellington or somewhere else. Um, so for him to extend himself that way, I think was really important. And now I feel so equipped to understand the, the position and the challenges of the school and also the opportunities that are in front of us. So that was really a gift. So what were some of the things that you, you worked on to equip yourself in the conferences? You, like, you obviously noticed maybe there was some type of gap that you wanted to cover before mm -hmm. you were ready to take that position. And then as the time gets closer and that July 1st date comes, <laughs> you know, what are you focused on daily to prepare for that? Yeah, so, so one of the key pieces that I think on the education side that you don't have as, as great of an understanding is the finances of a school and how that works and the, the hard work and, and difficult decisions that go into that balance between having the academic program and, and a really great staff that we have at Wellington while also you know, paying the, the other bills and the facilities and operations and finding that balance as a new school, not having that, you know, giant endowment to lean on to really have to be thoughtful about uh, strategic use of resources then partnered with that the development side of things and, and the importance of philanthropy in independent schools and so um, stepping into some of those roles to to learn how that works at a at a larger scale then getting more involved we have an accrediting body called isaacs uh, independent schools Association of the Central States, and so I got more involved on the administrative committee work there to understand how other schools are doing it and get a better glimpse of um, the current trends and topics that are relevant. So I think those two pieces uh, really helped me see beyond the classroom um, at Wellington, and, and again, it was, it was more energizing than anything else, so I, I kept pushing. 
And as you approach taking the helm, you know, how has Wellington changed over the past seven years since you've mm -hmm. been here? And, and what are some of the initiatives you guys are working on currently? Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest changes that we've um, kind of leaned into is allowing students um, flexibility in their curriculum to dive deep. Uh, we talk about the importance of research and how, you know, there's, there's some that say content knowledge is uh, irrelevant now. You know, you can get that content, but do you have the ability to sort of ask good questions and then find sources, vet those sources, and then build new questions or, or greater understanding? So creating a model that sort of balances that foundational content and skill building while also allowing for deep dives in area of passion, I think is a, a critical piece. And so we have really bolstered our research programs. We have an independent science research program and an independent humanities research program where the students can spend multiple years on the topic of their interest to then connect with other um, experts and get beyond our campus and become expert themselves in that and then present their findings. Um, so that taking ownership, we talk about moving from being a consumer of things or consumer of information to a producer of things. And, and the more you can empower students to do that, I think they're better equipped to then take on uh, what is becoming a changing workforce really kind of month over month, right? And you mentioned that entrepreneurial DNA being rooted in the, the whole creation of the school and the mindset that you guys are, are building into the different students. Is that in alignment with what you just said in regards to how you guys are trying to help them prepare for that mindset post-school, or are there other initiatives that are going on there as well? Yeah, I think one of the, the key pieces of that mindset is um, the importance of questioning. So I think students get so conditioned that they're finding an answer. So there's research that shows after you're four years old, questioning actually starts to drop. Reading and writing continues to you know, improve, but questioning drops, and you think, why is that? Well, because you learn that you're trying to find an answer, not ask the next question. So kind of breaking that mindset, I think, is one of the um, first pieces. And then willing to take risks, have some failures, push through some challenges, and know that those failures then don't define you or close doors down the road and, and sort of releasing yourself from that. We talk about risks and resets. You're going to grow and learn from that setback. And now how do you sort of approach the next challenge, try new strategies, and you're really emboldened by it rather than crushed by it. And that's hard, that's hard work in schools. And so we commit to that, and we think that's going to serve the students no matter what field they go into, that sort of um, uh, resilient, gritty, uh, approach to learning. And your team partners with a lot of organizations around Columbus, including Aquatic Ventures, OSU, and Columbus Idea Foundry. Um, what are some of the programs that your team is really excited about working with those organizations? Yeah, the great thing about Columbus is, is there's such a diversity of um, opportunities and, and everyone willing to connect. So I think it starts with an amazing team at Wellington, and you get that foundation, as I mentioned before. Um, and then you, you look at outreach, where the students can go out and connect with with organizations, but also bringing in uh, organization. You mentioned Aquatic Adventures. We now have partnered with them to create a, a dive program that's linked to our marine biology class. So as a part of learning marine biology, then you actually learn to dive. And then we go out and we actually um, get them on coral reefs so they can put their learning into action, really see it firsthand. With OSU, they've been an amazing partner. We have, I think, more than 100 families at Wellington that have some connect connection to OSU, so it's a natural 
um, fit there right in our backyard. Our ISR students, the independent science research students, many of them work in labs um, at OSU. We just had uh, the urology group at OSU host our sixth graders. And the sixth graders were learning about robotic surgery. And you could learn about robotic surgery, right? See it on the screen. But to actually be in the operating room and, and kind of put your hands on and see the monitors um, is, is a really powerful tool. Fisher School of Business has been a, a really great partner for us. We did an international collaboration with Russia a few years ago. And the uh, ICE scholars from Fisher College of Business came out and, and helped our students try and develop a, a business. On the other side, the, the service side, I think, is also where Columbus really uh, has a thriving community. Um, so we partner with Boys and Girls Club of Columbus and, and work with their power hour where students can get out and connect with other parts of the community, um, build a little more understanding and empathy. Huckleberry House is a great resource as well. Um, so we've tried to um, find opportunities to bring those experts in, but also get our students out to connect. What about as you move towards head of school, like, do you have anything in particular areas that you're going to focus on? Maybe it's partnerships, maybe it's something mm -hmm. else that you want to bring to the table? Yeah, I think the, the partnerships is a, a really key one, I think, um, working to connect more with Columbus and downtown Columbus. So we have a, a really vibrant entrepreneurial uh, spirit and program, and so trying to get our students connected more um, downtown with the leaders in entrepreneurship, uh, and then also civic engagement. So we have a program uh, called Ohio Youth in Government where the students can propose and write bills and amendments and then they go downtown and they spend time in the state house. It's a club for us, there's no academic credit. Um, and we had 100 students in that program doing research, public speaking, you know, taking on this extra work. So finding ways to get that group of students connected um, to really important civic activities I think will be critical. So that kind of downtown connection. The other piece for us that I think is really interesting and unique about Wellington, we have three-year-olds through 12th grade. So part of today, I got energized. I went and joined the Little Jags. Those are the three-year-olds. And they were in kind of free uh, exploratory play mode. So I just moved through the room, and they showed me decorations they're making and a rocket ship over here. And, and so just being able to connect that. So for us to build programs that really leverage a three-year-old through 12th grade learner and think about what does research look like for a four-year-old versus a, an 11th grader and be thoughtful in that process and and buddy connections and mentoring is really rich so i think those are two areas that are kind of ripe to to get to the next level we talked a little bit earlier about diversity and inclusion with the school as well like what different activities and initiatives are you doing to encourage that uh, we we do have a really uh, diverse school i think our student body is is very diverse we're doing some work to try and um, expand the diversity in our staff and we always have work to do there. I think the first thing you always want to do is make sure the student is known and so we do a lot of work to try and help students find their voice and help us understand who they are. Um, so as we move beyond that then making sure the spaces reflect uh, the diversity of our community. Um, we've, we've leaned into trying to understand the role of affinity groups. I think that's a piece that's really important um, to understand how that can play a role to elevate uh, everyone's voice in the community and, and also affirm their perspective and their background. And we have a club system that's, that's really interesting where there's student-led clubs, but they've got adult leadership. So we have a, a Gay-Straight Alliance Club and a African American Awareness Association and LJAG, which is a Latinx club. And those clubs then are empowered to, to lead activities and initiatives 
in the community. And so um, making sure students are known, their voice matters, and then giving them opportunities to lead and, and, and bring awareness to others um, is a really important part of our program as well. Sounds like a lot of your program is built around not only getting students to, to question and come up with their own ideas, but also lead. I guess, how do you see that play out over the course of their time at Wellington? Like when your seniors lead, what, do you, what is your biggest hope and where do you see the most success in the program? I, th I think we talk a lot about trying to create a model where students are truly engaged and we define engagement as um, challenged and loving it. So we want students to really understand you can, you can find those moments that are still really hard work, but you're sort of in that flow where you love what you're doing and creating the program that we have that allows the students a lot of flexibility to try different things. We had 146 different courses in our upper school. So we hope that they'll have identified at least areas where they're energized. They're energized by new challenges. Um, so they may not know the specific field they're in, but as they set off into college, we know the college is going to be a great fit because they know what they value, they know what they're seeking, they know how they learn. And then they'll be able to, to leverage their collaborative skills that they've built working with adults, which is critical at Wellington. Um, and so we, we think about success at 30. Right? Getting into a great college that a student has been thinking about and having opportunities there is awesome. But what does it look like in 30? What have you built? How do you define success? And so giving the students the ability to to reflect that way rather than being defined by a standardized test score or um, the number of hours you sat in a certain seat in a certain topic. Um, so I think as they set off, we watch for that sort of spark in their eye to learn more. And then, excuse me, what are some of your goals over the next you know, three to five years for the school and for yourself personally? Well, I think, I think for me, it's to really um, keep an eye on where, where work is headed. You know, we talk about, um, the, the jobs that are available changing. A lot of education models still have this sort of industrial model, and yet it's hard to define what the jobs, the current seniors, even by the time they're done with college, what are those jobs gonna be? I, I wrote an opening letter, because we took a group to, to um, a language immersion in Italy. We were gone for two weeks. And when I came back from that Italy trip, the bird scooters and all the scooters were everywhere. And then I read an article about the people that then collect the scooters to recharge them. Hmm. Like this whole new approach in industry had sprung up what felt like in weeks or months. I've always wondered weeks where or happens to those scooters. That's right? funny that you mentioned that. It's, it's a thing. It's, yeah. I think it's probably a competitive you know, thing. Go find the scooters and recharge them. But, but just the idea that we didn't anticipate that was going to be there. So now are you ready to, to sort of learn those new skills to then be able to step into an industry that may not even exist yet? So I think that's one key piece. I think the other piece we want to be open to is what should education look like? So, so that industrial model is a certain number of students walk into a box and they sit in seats for a certain amount of time and they may jump through some hoops, get some tests, and then they move on and you get credit for that, right? Well, the, the, the way things are changing and the, the need to do research and have this agile thinking, what about a studio model where you have some experts that are in a space that you move into and then you actually have problems and projects to work on. We're developing an idea called Wonder Lab, where anyone can bring problems or projects, and then the students partner with adults to solve them. And so a studio model, a workshop model, that's a little more open. How are you using online resources for content knowledge or, or to connect with other experts? So I think being open to what education should even look like 
and visiting a place like this to see what does the work workspaces look like and the interactions, the, the importance of collaboration um, is really critical. I met with a, a really successful entrepreneur yesterday and I said if I was telling students two things to be successful as an entrepreneur just in the, where the workforce is going and he said creativity is king and happiness. He said I, I know plenty of successful people. I don't know as many happy people. And that ability to find your happiness, have well-being and balance will help drive you in areas where you're passionate, bring creativity, don't see barriers, see opportunities. Um, and that really resonated with me because I hadn't really thought about it that way. Well, Jeff, I think that's a great place to kind of pivot towards our last question of the show, which is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that for our theme, mm -hmm. what do you think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and life at the Wellington? I, th I think it's, it's a perfect way to capture my existence at, at Wellington because um, no day is the same and so constant new challenge and, and I think seeing a challenge as an opportunity to kind of learn something and now how are you going to navigate that so leaning into challenge is something that's always been a draw to me um, but also the idea of not just settling for how things have always been. A lot of the, the educational models might be easier. Those are there. We can follow those. There's not everyone setting you know, really high standards for what we need to output. But to be able to say, is there a better way to do it? Willing to step into that and, and risk something by, by trying something new. Now you might have a setback, but I guarantee you'll learn something. And so being at a place like Wellington where it's encouraged to innovate and try new things and setbacks aren't the end of the world, they're actually a great opportunity, um, I think would be a, a way that we, we step into that challenge all the time. Well, Jeff, that's a great answer, and really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the podcast. You got anything else you want to say before we uh, let you go? No, I think the, the most important piece is probably just that, that I have an unflappable optimism about the power of, of students and that they all have this unique potential. If they're given room to, to identify their passion and flexibility to dive deep into areas, I think they'll change the world. And uh, I love being in Columbus, love being at Wellington, and can't wait to see where our students take us. Well, I agree with all that, Jeff, and uh, Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. That was Jeff Turwin. He is the Associate Head of School at Wellington School, the Wellington School, sorry. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you want to learn more about Wellington, you can check out the links down in the show notes. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And we're going to start with a new sponsor, Third and Goal. You are invited to pack your bags and join the Third and Goal Foundation for Heroes in the Hangar, a suitcase party, Friday, May 3rd, 2019. There'll be live performance by Swag, an open bar, heavy hors d'oeuvres, and interactive stations, and one lucky couple will leave the night on a private jet for an all-inclusive weekend getaway. First-class tickets are $150, which includes entry and one raffle entry into trip drawing. VIP first-class cabin is $2,000. It includes six first-class tickets, access to the VIP pre-party, and name on the event signage. Proceeds benefit the Third and Goal Foundation, founded by Brady Quinn, a nonprofit that is committed to making a difference in the lives of veterans in need. For more information and to reserve your tickets, visit www.thirdandgoalfoundation.org 
That's www.thirdandgoalfoundation.org, which will also be linked in the show notes. And our next sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus. And their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.